0: It's our custom on Sundays at our church uh, to preach through books of the Bible. And we've got a lot we're going to to do after the service. As you can see, a lot of fun things that that we'll give away. But it's our custom every Sunday to preach through various books of the Bible. We've preached through several of them. And the one we're currently in is the book of Mark. Mark is one of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and there's John. The Gospels are written to give us a record of Jesus' earthly ministry that lasted somewhere around 33 to 33 and a half years. The Gospels are precious because it's in the Gospels that we hear and see the work and ministry and voice of Jesus Christ touching and and, and healing and, and working miracles in people's life. It's in Mark right here that we see Jesus establishing His kingdom. And and normally on a big day like this where we have a special emphasis such as teacher appreciation day. uh, I I would step out of our current study that we're walking through as a church every week. And I would preach a message that is specific to uh, my target audience. And no doubt my target audience on purpose today is educators. But thankfully uh, God ordained it I think in his providence that. That the next chapter, next verse in the book of Mark um, is is really written, I think, in some ways to help teachers today. It can help all Christians, all followers of Christ. uh, But I didn't even have to go outside of the gospel of Mark to find a message to encourage and hopefully inspire and challenge our educators today. So if you brought your copy of God's word, you can be turning to Mark in chapter number 10. Maybe you would look it up on a device that you brought with you to church And if not, it's okay. I'll have every verse that I'm reading today on the screen in front of you. Mark chapter number 10, I'm going to begin reading in verse 32. Then I'm going to read through verse 45. The Bible says, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the 12, that's his 12 closest disciples. And he began to tell them what things should happen unto him saying, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, this is right after God, Jesus just told them this about his death. They they come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory or in thy kingdom. But Jesus said unto him, Ye know not what you ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? Be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him. Sure we can. Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all, well, shall ye be baptized? But to sit on my right hand and and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the 10 heard it, this is the 10 other than James and John, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them unto him and saith unto them, ye know not that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to talk to you about this subject today. Reimagining greatness. Reimagining greatness. God has given us, has he not, this amazing gift called imagination. Where we can hear one word. Or we can hear one phrase and images spring into our mind. No doubt as teachers in the classroom, you understand the benefit of engaging your students imagination, especially at a young age. But I want to borrow your imagination for a moment, not your students. Specifically, I want to borrow your imagination in regards to the word greatness. Educators, what comes into your mind when you hear that word? What do you imagine first when you think about greatness? No doubt our culture provides all kinds of possible images of what greatness looks like. Sports legends, successful politicians, movie stars, supermodels, billionaires, wealthy entrepreneurs. But what comes into your mind when you think of greatness Is actually very, very important, and here's why. Because how you imagine greatness reveals what you value most. For instance, if you value wealth most, greatness to you will be someone who has a lot of money. If you value fame most, greatness will make you imagine somebody everyone has heard of. If you value success most, you'll you'll imagine somebody being great as, as somebody that has made it to the very top. So where does your imagination take you right now? What do you see in your mind when you think about greatness? And let me ask it even more specific to what you do for a living. When I say somebody is a great teacher, what comes to mind? What does a great teacher or coach or administrator or teacher's assistant, what does that look like to you? Some might say that a great teacher or a great counselor is caring and empathetic some might say that a great coach is passionate and energetic some might say that a, a great administrator is wise and decisive well there could be just about as many opinions of greatness in education as there are educators in here today because everybody imagines greatness in a different way and that's why I thought this passage was so fitting this morning because it shows us how Jesus imagines greatness And his opinion about what makes someone truly great is the opinion that matters most. What we're going to see in this text is that Jesus imagined greatness different than the world around him and the culture around him imagined it. And here's what's even more surprising than that. He imagined it differently than his 12 closest followers. In fact, Jesus had to take time to help his own disciples reimagine greatness because their idea of what it meant to be great was way off. Now, I believe every educator in here, whether you're a teacher, coach, administrator, para, support staff, or anything I didn't mention, I believe every educator wants to be great at what they do. And we've got some great ones in our community. I've rarely met a teacher that didn't want to do a great job. But what exactly makes a teacher great? More importantly, how would Jesus describe a great educator? The passage of scripture that I read at the beginning of the message started with Jesus predicting his own death, burial, and resurrection. For those that have been studying the book of Mark with us every week, you know this is the third time, it would have been the final time, that Jesus predicts his death. He wants his disciples to understand that he didn't come to earth to establish an earthly kingdom and sit on an earthly throne. He came to die on a cross for the sins of the world. He didn't come to rule and reign over people with an iron fist. No, he came to suffer and die for people so that they could be made right with God. But his 12 closest followers seem to have this habit of looking Uh, past this idea of sacrifice and suffering, almost blocking it out of their minds and instead focusing on the triumph and the glory that their Messiah would bring. So in spite of being told to the contrary three times, these disciples were absolutely convinced that Jesus was coming to earth to overthrow their oppressive Roman government and become the most powerful king in the land. That's why the two brothers by the name of James and John, they had this nickname, Sons of Thunder. And they asked Jesus a very interesting question that is so anticlimactic after Jesus just said, hey, guys, I'm about to die. They said, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. So Jesus replied, "Okay, guys, what do you want me to do for you? Well, Jesus, when you become king, we want to be your two highest rank cabinet members. We want to sit on your right and we want to sit on your left. Now, you're going to be number one, but we want to be number two and number three. What do you think of that? Isn't that a good idea? Jesus replied, let's not talk about what positions you get or won't get. That'll be decided later. Let's talk about what comes before having a position in my kingdom. Well, what's that, Jesus? Well, you're going to have to suffer and die. And do you guys really think you're ready to suffer like I just predicted that I'm going to have to suffer? Are you ready to be rejected and mocked and scorned and tortured on a cross? That's not what these two brothers were expecting to hear. No, you see, Jesus wants to redirect their attention. He wants to talk about his sacrifice. That's what's on his mind. And that's what he wants to be on the mind of his closest followers. Now, get this, church. He doesn't rebuke them for seeking greatness. Wanting to be great is not a sin. Ambition is not inherently sinful. No, instead, Jesus demonstrates that true greatness is not found in position or power, but true greatness is lived out by sacrificial service, even a willingness to suffer for the sake of others. Now, if you remember me reading right about this time, there are 10 other disciples, and they overheard the conversation. The Bible says they got angry at James and John. Now, they didn't get angry at James and John because James and John were out of place asking for power and position. They got mad at at James and John because James and John beat him to the punch. They got got the first, they they checked in for the first class seats in the kingdom of God and they, they beat him to it. They were upset about that. And when Jesus literally saw that all 12 of his closest followers were not imagining greatness the right way, he wanted to teach them the proper way to look at it. Now, let me ask you a question. If, if 12 of the closest followers of Jesus, guys that, that gave up everything in their life to follow him everywhere. For the last three years, they have been walking with him down every road, sleeping, sleeping with him in uh, every hotel doing the work of the ministry and of God around the the Galilee region all this time. They're so close to him, yet yet they can imagine greatness in the wrong way. If it's possible for them to do that, do you think it might be possible for you to imagine greatness the wrong way? More specifically, is it possible that there's a teacher here today who who has imagined greatness in your profession, kind of like the disciples imagine greatness? It's all about the next promotion. All about the next step higher. Awards. Recognition. It's all about having a really good evaluation at the end of the year. That's what teaching may have become. Is it possible that there's a coach here today who's imagined greatness incorrectly? It's become all about the wins and losses. All about bolstering your reputation in the state. Using your current coaching position as a stepping stool to get a better one. Is it possible that there's an administrator in here today who's imagined greatness incorrectly as well? You view education differently than when you first started as a teacher in the classroom. Maybe it's become so much about preserving your leadership position that every decision is made primarily with politics in view and not students. Maybe greatness is now about the bottom line or about meeting the expectation of those that put you in charge. Or about whatever makes you look good professionally. See, imagining greatness incorrectly, it doesn't make you a terrible educator. Or a terrible coach. Or a terrible leader. And it doesn't even make you a terrible person. It's just something that happens over time if you aren't careful. What happens is the culture around you starts to influence you and causes you to imagine greatness their way. Which is not the right way. So Jesus took time to help his disciples and us reimagine greatness as he saw it. Verse 42 says this, you know not that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over. They, they rule with an iron fist and their great ones exercise authority on them. So what Jesus does to help them reimagine greatness is he starts with how the people around them viewed greatness. It was all about ruling over people and exercising power over people and using one's position to get ahead of people. Now, to put you in in the land of the Bible for a moment, one example of this was found on their coins in this day, their currency. The coins show the head of the reigning emperor, who was a man by the name of Augustus during this time. The coin would have had his picture on it. It would have had his name on it. Then it would have had this inscription on it. He who deserves adoration. See, that's what greatness meant in their culture. Having your face on a coin that informed people that you deserve praise. And you deserve recognition. And you deserve the pat on the back. And you deserve everybody to bow down and worship you. Now what's ironic about this is that Jesus' disciples couldn't stand their oppressive government and how they led and how they acted and how they plastered their face on their own coins. Yet they were acting the same way. They wanted to be high-ranking government officials right next to Jesus and his kingdom. Why? So they could exercise lordship and authority and power and have their faces on the coins. The very thing they hated in others is the very thing they were becoming themselves. And Jesus is telling them that's not real greatness. Let me show you what real greatness looks like. And he says this in verse 43. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Hear me this morning, the metric of greatness in Jesus' kingdom is not the willpower to step on others for one's own good, but it's the willingness to serve others for their good. True greatness is sacrificial service. And Jesus elaborates and takes it one step further when he says greatness is actually sacrificial service patterned after the cross. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man. Came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It's as if Christ is telling these guys this. If you want to know what true greatness is, then never forget what you're about to see me do on the cross. And what would Jesus do on a cross? Well, we read it. He'd be beaten. He'd be tortured. He'd be mocked. He'd be stripped naked he'd be humiliated he'd be forsaken by his own father in heaven now now why would Jesus do that and how is that truly great because that doesn't feel great or look great to me here's why he did it he did it for you and he did it for me here's why it's great because what he did on the cross we could have never done for ourselves as the perfect sacrifice he paid the penalty for our sin so that we could be made right with God and go to heaven when we die Listen, Jesus sacrificially served the world by dying for the world. And he's teaching us today that we become truly great in his eyes when we demonstrate that same kind of sacrificial service to others. Every educator under the sound of my voice today, no matter what your responsibilities are day in and day out, every educator in here can and should sacrificially serve those around you. That doesn't mean you have to die for somebody like Jesus did. He took care of that. But you can serve those in your building. You can serve those in your classroom. You can serve those in your locker room. You can serve those in your small circle of influence every single day. This past week as I was preparing this message, I reached out to several teachers I know. I asked them what sacrificial service looks like every day in their building. Here's some of the answers I received back. Volunteer to serve on a committee that will seek to solve problems for all students and staff. Nobody today seems to like that word volunteer very much. Encouraging other staff members rather than criticizing. Covering a fellow teacher's class in their absence when no subs are available and doing it gladly, they said. Make sure when you're at school, you're 100% present. Your heart, mind, spirit and body, not just with students, but to your co-workers and parents as well. One teacher told me not flattering people like students and fellow educators are putting on a fake smile or avoiding when there is conflict, but serving and leading with humility, truth and purpose every day. One said work to connect personally with the most challenging students, that service or genuinely give students and fellow staff a fresh start after they make mistakes. One said, noticing a student or family that is in need and even financially assisting them if necessary. One said, seeing a child who's having a hard time making friends and assist them meeting new people. One says, serve the school or district by volunteering time at extracurricular activities. Simply saying hello and being genuinely interested in every student that walks into your classroom. Or some, one person said, taking out of your evening to show up at one of your students' ball games to support them. See, at the end of the day, what I gathered that makes a teacher great is really not a good personality. What makes a coach great is not winning a state championship. What makes an administrator great is not having the school with the best test scores. See, what makes a teacher great is how they sacrificially serve the students that God has placed under their care. What makes a coach great it's how they sacrificially serve the athletes that God has placed under their care. What makes an administrator great is how they sacrificially serve every teacher, every coach, every para, every secretary, every cafeteria worker, and every janitor in their building and under their supervision. Yet here's what makes sacrificial service hard sometimes. It doesn't always get noticed. Actually, It seems to rarely get noticed in this day and age. I got good news for you based on the Bible. Others around you may not recognize the little acts of service you do on a daily basis. But there is somebody who does. And his name is God and he keeps real good score. Why? Because when you serve others, that's when you look most like his son. Now look at this verse in the Bible. Hebrews 6 verse 10. For God is not unrighteous. To forget your work and labor of love. That means when people forget your work and labor of love. That's not right. But God is always right. Which he has showed toward his name. And that ye have ministered to the saints. And do minister. God is totally incapable of forgetting about your acts of service to others. He'll reward you when those on earth won't reward you. He's keeping track when your boss is not keeping track. He's there for you. When nobody else is. And thankfully it's not just God that recognizes. But over time. Acts of service compound. And it's those students and those fellow teachers. Who are the recipients of your acts of service. That over time. Will be touched. And they'll look back and say. You know what if it weren't for that teacher. If it weren't for that coach. If it weren't for that principal. If it weren't for that counselor. If it weren't for that parent. If it weren't for that cafeteria worker that said hi every time I went in and got my tray. Wasn't for that janitor that always had a smile on his face when he swept the floors of my school. If it wasn't for them, I don't know where I'd be today. One more teacher reached out to me. It was the very last one I got. And I, I know why, because she spent a lot of time typing back her response. And here's what she said after nearly two decades of serving in our school district. Here's what she said has touched her from viewing teachers for the last 20 years. She said this. It's quite lengthy, but it's touching. She said, teachers give sacrificially every day. From the start of the day, I've seen them give to students. I've seen them go to students' houses to pick them up for school. I've seen them meet them at the door at 7 o'clock to clean them. Cone their hair, brush their teeth, and feed them before school so they would have a good start to the day. I've seen them go to each chair in their classroom and pray over it as if they were touching the head of each child. Praying for understanding, wisdom, patience, and blessings for each of the children in their care and for their families as well. I've seen them buy lunches, books, school supplies, clothing, coats, shoes, and Christmas gifts for those who had none for the exchange. I've seen them go to the students' houses after school and weekends to tutor those who fell behind or were sick, help them catch up. I've seen them go to birthday parties and to the hospital to visit them into the funeral home when there was a family tragedy. I've seen them take food to a family in need and sometimes just go to visit and get to know them on a personal level. She said, I know they spend hours off the clock making projects, planning lessons, and preparing materials to use to help their children grasp a concept they love on them cry for them, worry about them, and pray for them. I also know they dream for them, literally and figuratively. In the middle of the night, they think about how to help them through something they've struggled with, and the answer comes to them. They have such high hopes for the future of these children in their classes and are humbled by their privilege to be a small part of building it. She said, yes, a teacher sacrifices much to offer their students more. They sacrifice time, energy, energy, Money and inspiration so they can do their very best for them. And that's what this day is all about. As a pastor and as a church, we just want to say thank you to the teachers out there that are doing just that. The teachers that are truly great because you're not worried about drawing a paycheck. You're more worried about serving your students. I hope that this simple message today has helped you to reimagine greatness, to see it the way Jesus saw it. And most of all, I hope this message has inspired you to pursue greatness through sacrificially serving those around you. If you're discouraged today, teacher, because no one's noticed in a long time the difference you made, please, please hear me. God's keeping track. And if you don't believe God appreciates you, I believe that his church right here at 310 West Pancake Boulevard appreciates you. We're for you. Just a moment, we're gonna have a time of prayer together. Our church just wants to pray for you. Ask God's richest blessings on you as you serve our students. But before we do, I wanna share with you the most important act of service that's ever been done on this earth. That was found in verse 45 that says, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus's life was the ransom payment we needed to get free from the power and penalty of sin. A ransom payment would often be given in the Bible day to set a slave free who is being kept and abused by a wealthy landowner. A ransom payment in our day might be used by our federal government to negotiate the release of one of our American soldiers who's being held captive. In the same way, when you were born, you were a sinner. You didn't have to learn how to sin, it came natural. It's in your DNA, it's in mine. You're a captive to sin. Because of your sin, the Bible's very clear that you faced a penalty. It says for the wages of sin, what you earn, your paycheck for sin is death. Not just death is in you stop breathing, but in what happens after you stop breathing. The eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. But that's the bad news. The good news follows. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus came as your gift, as your ransom. He died so you wouldn't have to. And he gave his life by sacrificially, sacrificially being tortured and beat and mocked and scorned on a cross. And by doing so, listen, he paid for your release from the captivity of sin. And he paid it in full. The one thing you have to do to be forgiven and to be made right with God for all eternity... And that's the most important thing you'll ever do in your life, by the way. All you've got to do is simply believe in Jesus and Jesus alone by faith. Don't take my word for it. Look at the scripture. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It didn't say that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, believe in thine heart, and then get baptized. It doesn't say it. Doesn't say if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and then become a really good person. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and become a Baptist. Doesn't say that either. It says you confess with your mouth who? The Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart about who? The Lord Jesus. You don't have to understand this book cover to cover to believe that Jesus died for your sin. And around you today, are people that have made that decision. They were sitting in a service a lot like this, perhaps, and felt a lot like you feel right now, maybe a little bit uneasy, like introspective. Am I saved? Do, do I know Jesus? I mean, I know about him, but am I in a personal relationship with him? And I'm just telling you, those around you that have made the decision would be so happy if you would make the same decision. If you'd give your life to Christ today. I want, I want to give every person in this room, educator or non-educator, an opportunity to do just that. Would you bow your head for a moment and close your eyes? Do you mind doing that?